Welcome back, everybody, to the Rooted in Logos podcast, episode number 84. My name is Brad. I am joined this week, as always, by my dear friend and cohort, partner in crime, dynamic duo, boy wonder, Austin Loop. Well, hey. (laughs) Actually, I didn't like the boy wonder one. Oh, and it's not as always either, remember? Okay, but whatever. Those don't count. Those don't count. Well, hey, guys. They, they, they wouldn't count, especially if I could figure out how to make them separate from our episode count, but it doesn't let me do it. So That's true. I was I wanted to make it bonus episode one, bonus episode two, and then it just didn't. Oh, well. Oh, well. Anyway, y'all doesn't care about that. <laughs> but we are back. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. We are, we are recording from the past in 2022, but it is New Year's Eve 2022 as we record this, so this will come out uh, January the 3rd? Fourth, fourth, yeah, January fourth. So we'll be f- fresh into 2023. I hope you all were safe and had a fun New Year's Eve, watching some football, watching the ball drop, mm-hmm. and just enjoying the festivities of a, of a new year, a holiday that people use to signify the beginning of something new and the beginning of f- fresh starts and New Year's resolutions. And I'm doing this. I'm going to be a better person in 2023. And five days later, you're the same dork that you were in 2022. <laughs> Good intentions, Good of intentions. course. Good intentions. But maybe not a rabbit trail we need to go down. I don't know. I'm not a huge New Year's resolution fan because... It's true. It never works. I'm going to read 12 books a year. I'm going to read 12 books a month. I'm going to read... No. I do see all the people with their reading goals. I'm going to read 30 books in 2023. Feels like a lot. It feels a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and for me, it's... Not that it's against theology but i mean the whole the whole premise of waiting for a new year waiting for the beginning of january to then put up your your new year's goals and whatever and trying to go on from there but it's like well no christ says come as you are right now and then change so if you're in jan or july and that's the time to do it then do it right and so at any point throughout the year don't wait for the beginning of the year to then try to mark and calculate and set aside this time that I mean, you're going to change. Let's be honest, I'm guilty of this too. It's oh, like yeah. it's like midweek, and I'm like, well, I, I really need to start like eating better, or I need to start doing this. Like, you know, I'll just wait till Monday. It'll I'll be fine. Wait till Monday. Yeah, yeah. But we it, we all do that. It's a good way to track your progress. It yeah. is. So but just do it. I I would have a question to the listeners to give us feedback, but um, you all don't. Uh, but if you would want to give us feedback, January 4th, today, the, the pod episode comes out January 4th. If you listen to this within the first week of January, tell me how your New Year's resolutions are going. Jump on jump on Facebook, jump on Instagram, Twitter, only a couple followers still on that, but that's fine. Um, and tell us if you're still going strong with your New Year's resolutions. Whatever those resolutions are, let's read the Bible more, lose weight, exercise, I don't know, cut read more books, television, read more books, whatever the case is. Yeah. What is your resolution? I just want Kentucky basketball to be fun again. That's the only thing I want for 2023 because <laughs> this has been a brutal year so far. Yeah. For, for me, I, it's not a goal, but the plan. The plan is to read more books. Granted, we're, it's cool because we're actually setting up a system now where kids are in bed at a certain time, which... We've always tried to do that, but now it's it's a little bit easier because they're a little bit older. So now they're in bed at a certain time. It's book reading. We start with, I read to them, specific book, whatever that is. And then they read their books where, well, Emily, Emily and I are out in the living room. And we have our books that we're starting to read. Nice. So it's been pretty cool, good. Very cool. If you haven't noticed, I'm, I'm in a Thomas Watson... <laughs> We, we, we have seen we've seen yeah. that Thomas Watson has been a been a recurring theme. I'm it reading has. a book right now uh, by John Christ. Oh yeah, a comedian. So he wrote a book called Delete That. <laughs> so I am I am reading that book. It's it's basically his story of how he was cultivating this online presence that was squeaky clean Christian, and then his actual mm. personal life was kind of a train wreck. Yeah, and so it's it's got some humor in there, but it's pretty serious. Like, hey, I was I was completely fake. Oh, wow. We need to start figuring this out and quit using social media to make ourselves look a lot better than we are. Fake smoke screen, yeah. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. interesting. But cool. Thomas Watson is, is a lot deeper than I think John Christ would go. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm reading The Doctrine <laughs> of Repentance. There you go. And oh, that's, that's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So I, I will say I got a couple other books this year for Christmas. Um, 
Christianity and Wokeness by Owen Strachan. Owen, yeah. Owen, yeah. We we uh, we promote some of his stuff on our Facebook page from time to time. We'll share some of the things that he's posted because he's pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, and then I got a book called Letters to the American Church. So we'll we'll see if who's that? Do you I, know? I can't remember his okay. name. Okay. But Letters to the American Church that would be interesting. We'll see how this that goes. I'm gonna read the light one first, and then we'll start diving into some of the yeah. <laughs> some of the deeper stuff. But pretty Very excited to get cool. back into the the reading thing too and i've wanted to read this is not a new year's resolution this is just a i need to read more yeah and i've been reading Ditto. a lot more in the last you know few months so excited to keep doing that expanding the mind yes expanding the mind but this week first of all before we get into this week do us a favor hop over to instagram uh, facebook twitter and follow us like and subscribe on all our podcast apps mm-hmm. where we're everywhere you find your podcast we're on you know we're on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon. We're everywhere. Yeah. Find us on whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Shoot us a five-star review on Apple if you so if you feel so inclined. We would love to hear that. And tell us what you think and, and give us some feedback. We'd love to interact and, and talk. Check out our Christmas episode if you are feeling a little blue from the holiday spirit being being over for the year. Jump back into our Christmas episode. Got some a lot. Of, got a lot of good stuff there. It's a almost a two hour podcast, yeah. so a lot of information with Carter and Emily on that week. And then if you want some fun, some lightheartedness, jump over find our definitive Christmas movie bracket. We went from sixteen movies, discussed them, dropped them down to one. The ultimate winner. We have contacted the actor, the star of that show, and he has yet to respond. <laughs> we, we were thinking it would be a very big honor for for this person to to win. But alas, they don't seem to care. But we uh, care. Do, do we have anything in case they do that way we can present them an award? <laughs> if, they, if, <laughs> if they respond, I'll send them something. <laughs> right. It's a fruit I don't basket. know what it is, but it's I'll a fruit send it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so check those out. Check out all our socials. We would love to interact with you and get our following growing a little bit more as we continue to move forward through the year 2023. We have about a month or so worth of maybe two months worth of, of episodes planned out ready to roll yeah not recorded of course but planned out ready to roll and i wish and we're gonna cool. that would be kind of neat we'd yeah. just take a day and just go Court through them all. all of them Whew. Uh, <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so anywho today we are going to finish first timothy chapter one last a uh, couple weeks ago we started first timothy one we got to verse 11 decided that was a good stopping point so go back and listen to that if you haven't done so. Uh, check out First Timothy chapter one verses one through eleven, part one. We're going to do part two today, verses twelve through twenty. And I feel like I have talked way too much to start this off. So Austin, do me a favor. Go ahead and read twelve through twenty, and we'll get rolling. You got it. Twelve through twenty. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointed me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hamanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So that is First Timothy 1, verses 12 through 20. And we'll do what we normally do. We'll jump back up to mm-hmm. verse 12 and then just kind of work through this verse by verse and, and discuss kind of the implications, what it means. I really like, I think I mentioned this in the first episode, I like the dichotomy that Paul has in his, in his letters where he, he speaks with a lot of authority and you almost think he's, he's being especially by our standards today, he's being too judgmental and he's being too like, you're being too mean to me and, and we right. just need to live our lives. And Paul's like, no, dummies, like you need to do this in light of the gospel. 
but also in the midst of that, he is the most humble of all of the apostles. Like oh, yeah. he is, he can say all this stuff because he's like, no, I get it. I was dead. Now I'm alive. Right? Like, yeah. I was in a really bad spot. We're going to talk about that in a second. Talk about, you know, in verse 13, what he what he says, you know, he's, he's a persecutor, an insolent opponent, blasphemer. He was the chief of sinners. We, that was in the first part of this text. He was the foremost of sinners. And he admits that. And he is very humble in that. And that's one reason why I think Paul has so much authority is he, he, is a, he was a changed man. He was a man that nobody thought would no. ever, ever proclaim the gospel. Well, and we even see that. We see that when he, he meets up with the disciples, and they're like, whoa, no, we know this guy. And, you know, they had questions. Rightfully so, they did. And they were testing him, and it took a while, which it was good. Yeah. But, yeah, they. I mean, even the guy who showed up to restore the sight of Saul before he came Paul, um, he's like, uh, God, are you, you sure? <laughs> I mean, he didn't say you're sure, but... Is it, really the guy we Right, were? yeah, exactly. Yeah. And God's like, yeah, go. And he's like, okay. So I've been listening to sermons on my drive, in, drive into work every morning from a church in Texas called Stonegate Church. The re- I stumbled upon them because a music artist that I, I really liked, uh, Jimmy Needham, is one of the pastors. And I've seen some clips of his stuff. I'm like, oh, this guy sounds pretty solid. And and it, he is. <laughs> I, yeah. really, I really like him. And so I, I've been listening to a lot of the sermons. And they were going through the, the seven letters in Revelation, seven letters to the churches. Yeah. And in one of them, you know, he makes the point that, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer claimed toward the end of his life that he had given his life to Christ. Yeah. And that he was a believer and that he was preaching the gospel in jail before he, before he died. Yeah. And Jimmy Needham... You know, the, the pastor, Pastor Jimmy said something to the effect of, you know, obviously we don't know for sure, you know, his heart, but if, if, if what he said is true, that is the ultimate showing of God's grace that a man like Jeffrey Dahmer can come to Christ and is now, at this moment, worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Praise be to God. Yeah. And that's, that's Paul. Because what's your first reaction? Be, let's be honest. What is your first reaction when you hear that Jeffrey Dahmer is in heaven or might be in heaven. Nah. Your first reaction is, I do no, absolutely not. That oh, man, yeah. Yeah, absolutely oh, yeah. not. That, that you know, it gets you angry. You become a little indignant. You're like, this, no, There's he should no not way. be there. Yeah. But neither should we. Right. Neither should Paul. Paul, definitely not. Oh, yeah. I guarantee you Paul killed more people than Dahmer did. I, yeah. I would, pr- pr- I would propose, I would propose so. I would think so. I don't know. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. But yes, yes, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the same reaction I bet that people in Paul's days had when they found out that he had converted to Christianity and that he was going to go around and preach. I bet their first gut reaction was no. Absolutely not. That's not fair. That's not right. No. You see what he did? And that's not the gospel. The gospel is yes. Like anybody can come to him as the Holy Spirit leads and directs. Yeah. So, uh, verse 12 is interesting. So, there's a, there's a section here. It I says... I was say, I had no idea that I was going to go off on a Dahmer right? tra- tangent, but whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Where, in verse 12, it says, because he judged me faithful. So, taking that out of context, but then we'll put it, put it back into context. It sounds like he's saying, you know, God appointed me to this position because he found me faithful. And so, he basically, he wanted me on his team. And so, okay, now we put it back into context. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So it's sandwiched in between these two things, where I thank him who has given me strength. As in, it's Christ alone, the, the only reason why I'm here. He has given me the strength to get here. And then, at the end, appointing me to his service. God chose him, plucked him out, and chose him for this specific reason. And as we get a little bit further, Paul says exactly the reason why God chose him. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful thing. And it had nothing to do with Paul and everything to do with God. You can look at the first few verses here. Actually, you could probably look at this whole little section here. And this is Paul's testimony. This is his, like, here's what I was, here's what I am now, and here's what I'm doing. And here's, here's what Christ did for me. And so you look at this idea of, of God choosing Paul. I mean, he absolutely did. He came to him on the road to Damascus 
and said, why are you persecuting me? I want you to serve me. I mean, that's not verbatim what he said, but that's the gist of it, right? Is yeah. you are going to serve me now. You are going to put your passion, put your knowledge, put your intelligence, put your zeal into furthering my kingdom. Yeah. And not trying to, attempting to destroy it. Of course, no one can destroy God's kingdom. But in Paul's mind, that's what he was, actually, I'm not sure that's what he was doing, but in his mind, but like, that's what Satan was doing through yeah. Paul, right? He was trying to destroy God's kingdom here on earth, and that's not going to happen. Yeah. The the premise of even before Paul, Saul became Paul, God was still using him. God was refining the church. The church was going through this this massive burst, okay? The gospel was spreading. It was reaching people. And people were on fire. And so whenever the church goes through a a time of major growth, prepare for major tribulation. And Paul was the tribulation of that time. Right. And Paul was going through the, the church ravaging. He was he was persecuting, he was massacring Christians left and right. And it was refining the church. Those who were not a part of the body of Christ were leaving. They were like, I don't want any part of this. And they left. But those who were truly a part of the body of Christ, they stayed. And a lot of them died for their faith. But a lot of them stuck it out and just grew. And then Saul turns to Paul. He goes through that transition period where he's basically going back through Scripture learning it from the standpoint of, okay, now he has the Holy Spirit. And when we get into verse 13, where, where he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Well, so, let's, let me go back to 13 real quick though, because yeah. I want to point out a couple things. One, he, the, the terms blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. He is basically putting out there that he violated all Ten Commandments, right? Mm -hmm. So when he says blasphemer, that's the first half of the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. He blasphemed against God. And then when he says insolent opponent, persecutor, that's the second half. That's where he's physically doing things that are completely opposed to God and his laws. Yeah. And again, I think Paul is is really hammering home that he is the chief of sinners, right? He, He was the worst of the worst, so to speak. Yeah. And he just, he wants to pound that point home with us, that he did not deserve this grace and that he was the worst of the worst. And basically saying without saying, if there's hope for me, there's hope for you. Yes. Also too, I want to point out, because I've actually heard this before, because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, I've heard people take that and twist it and say things to the effect of, well, if they don't know the gospel and they don't know Jesus, then how would God send them to hell? Because they're, they, they were acting ignorantly. They were in, acting ignorantly, but if they didn't know. So how can how can they be held accountable for something they didn't know? That's not what Paul's saying here. Yeah. Right? You know, I don't think Paul necessarily... There's no indication that Paul was a, a an apostate Jew or a Pharisee who understood and still rejected the teachings of Jesus. There's really no indication of that. It, it feels like Paul was really trying to preserve his faith and trying to protect his faith. Right? He was... Yeah. He was he was passionate about his beliefs. He was just ignorant until his eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit and literally opened after being blinded. He didn't know. He's not using it as an excuse. He's not using it as a, well, what I did in the past is okay. He's, he's basically saying he didn't understand the truth of Christ's gospel and was trying to protect his religion, and he wants to be conformed by Christ now. And he is being conformed by Christ now. He's being changed. He's being transformed into the person God wants him to be. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that that happens. Your ignorance and your I don't know is not an excuse. And Paul's not using it as an excuse here. So when people say that, they're, they're taking it out of context and making it say something they want to hear. Right. Saying that if you didn't know anything about Christ, that you are not up for judgment. Right. Whereas Paul is saying here, no, I was. I am the one that is most up for judgment. Like I deserve the divine judgment, but by the grace and mercy of God, I, I, I don't anymore because Christ took it upon himself. And it's interesting. So I was actually explaining this to, uh, Elora last night. So we were going through and talking about being a blasphemer and a persecutor and, you know, asking what, what does a, what does blaspheming mean? It's like, well, 
nowadays we take it as if you say God's name in vain, you're blaspheming the name of God. But it, it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's you are using God in the context of things that have nothing to do with God. Right. And what Paul was doing was he was murdering Christians in the name of Yahweh. Right. And in so doing, he was completely blaspheming God and deserved like a true Old Testament smoting. It it goes beyond just saying, OMG, right? Like it yeah. goes beyond that. That's not what taking the Lord's name in vain means. Now, is that the best thing to say? Probably not. Like no, that's no. a different conversation. But <laughs> that's not what he's talking about. That's not what taking the Lord's name in vain means. It is. It's exactly right. It's attributing to God something that is not to be attributed to God. Yes. That's that's what it is. It or doing something in the name of God mm-hmm. that is not of God. Yeah. Right? You know. Lord wills it. Uh, well, no. it's no, it's doesn't. your it's your cult leaders, right? It's your <clears throat> it's your people who take the scriptures, take the Bible, take the name of God and twist it around to where they can marry multiple people. They can mm. have wives that are underage. They can you know, take advantage of people and their finances. Like it's that's the kind of taking the Lord's name in vain that we're talking about here and that Paul is talking about here. Yeah. Because he was. He was a blasphemer. He was doing things in the name of God, in the name of, as Austin said, Yahweh, that should have never been attributed to him. Yeah. Yeah. True blaspheming. And and it's interesting because, so in in the Jewish faith, they are very, very cautious of that. They do not use, they, they don't even use the word Yahweh. They use Adonai or the Jehovah um, other words other than Yahweh, because the whole premise is they are unworthy to even say his name out loud. And then they would abbreviate the word Yahweh because they weren't even worthy to write his name out. And then carrying it even further, they wouldn't even, in the same sentence of Adonai or Jehovah, they wouldn't even put God's name together with with anything else, anything unclean, any talking about swine or pigs, talking about fecal matter, they wouldn't even put it in the same sentence because it was blaspheming God. But then Paul hits this moment where he's like, oh my goodness, his eyes are opened. And he's like, I've literally been doing this thing that even throughout the rest of scripture where Paul says, I was a Jew of Jews. I followed the law. Like he did it. He did not put in context of God's name with anything else. But then his eyes were open. He's like, no, I, I did. I did my my entire ministry life here. Acts 26, 9 points, points to that pretty pretty well. It says, and this is Paul writing, says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he was convinced that he was doing something to protect his faith in God. Yeah. By eliminating those who believed in Jesus and the, and taught Jesus. He was convinced of that, and, and that isn't an excuse, and that, that is obviously not the point here. Also, to go back to your point just a second ago, am I making this up, or, or is this true? When they would write the word Yahweh, they would write it one letter at a time, and after every letter they would stop, wash, write the next letter, stop, wash, write the... I feel like that's a thing. Hmm. I don't know if I made that up or not. I have to look that up. But I think that happened. Look us up, fact check us on that one, because that may just be something I've just pulled out of thin air. <laughs> but I feel like that's something Sounds I've legit. heard before. Where, yeah, but, but it does showcase, even if it's not fully accurate, it does showcase the, the reverence and the importance they put on the name of God. Yeah. And then they only abbreviate it to four letters. Right. Yeah. Which would make sense if they were doing that stopping at every letter, because they would take them a long time. <laughs> too long, yeah. Take way too long. All right, so let's go on to verse 14 and 15. and Oh, well, just 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And our faith in Christ is rooted in grace. Mm. We do not, under any circumstance, deserve to have faith in Christ. Because faith in Christ is salvation. And we don't deserve salvation. Yeah. It is all through grace. Yes. Grace alone. And I like what MacArthur says, and I'm just going to quote this here. It says, God's loving forgiveness by which he grants salvation apart from any merit on the part of those he loves. That is grace. Mm-hmm. That is his definition of grace, and that he's using in verse 14. Faith and love, attitudes frequently linked with salvation in the New Testament. They are also gifts 
of God's grace. Faith and love. And hope and peace and joy, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Right. That are gifts from God that we did not earn, we do not deserve. Yeah. And they are overflowing for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Overflowing. For a man like Paul, as evil and wicked as he was, and as evil and wicked as we are. For me, that trying to, to hound in on that of when you tell people nowadays that they're sinful... It it doesn't mean a thing. Means nothing. Means nothing. They're like they they chuckle at it. They laugh. Um, even even Christians, even Christians. The I'm they're like, well, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But if you look at someone and say you're evil, you are wicked. Especially for a Christian, it's like, oh, well, does Scripture actually say that? It's like, no, yes, it does. Yeah. You are evil and you are wicked. And you were an enemy of the king. That's like a distinction. You are evil and wicked. Apart from Christ. Exactly. Exactly. Your flesh hates everything about God. And the only part of you that doesn't is the Holy Spirit within you. It's the grace of God. The grace That's of God. That's the only, only reason. I had this thought over the last few weeks when just kind of reading through scripture and, and preparing for this even, but also just in general, thinking through the sin I struggle with and, and the issues that I have, because we all have them and, and we're all prone to... Wonder. Wander. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, I feel it. Great song. Anyway, I start. I, I started reflecting on God's grace and reflecting on the Holy Spirit. And you have those moments, too, where everybody has these moments where, like, man, am I am I saved? Like, like you yeah. have those questions and those doubts. Like, man. And that's where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's that's it. Not earn your salvation. It's think through your salvation and think, man, am I truly... And, and one of the things I thought of over the last couple of weeks is like, man, if I was not a believer, but didn't I have the Holy Spirit in me, the things I know I'm capable of and the lifestyle I would probably live is not what I'm doing now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if I didn't have that Holy Spirit saying, hey, this isn't right, like it would be much worse. Right. I, I, I truly believe that. Like life would be much worse. And, and my, my speech and my actions and just, again, the lifestyle I would live would probably be a lot different oh, yeah. than what it is now. Even something like enjoying a glass of bourbon, which Austin and I have talked about. Yeah. Without Christ, without the Holy Spirit in me, would I take that to the extreme? Mm. Would I abuse alcohol? Would I would I maybe? I, I don't know. Like I I, I don't know because I'm not there and I thank thank God I'm not there. Yeah. Like by the grace of God that is not my lifestyle or, or my Your conviction my takes conviction. hold. My yeah. conviction takes hold though. Because yeah. honestly, would I be there if if not for him? Yeah. And and it's that sort of thing. It, it and even things that are sinful, a glass of bourbon's not sinful, but even things that are sinful, like, would I take this to a different level right. without the Holy Spirit? And the right. answer to that is, oh, most definitely. Most definitely, yes. 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 So this could be a little bit of an encouragement to you, because again, it's something I've been thinking through, of like, if you start to question your salvation, or you start, or you wanting to work through it in your own mind, think about what your life would look like without the Holy Spirit in it, yeah. and like where you would be. Yeah. So. Yeah, and... I would say do that, but be careful because then you just, depending on how far you go, you're going to have to shut that off. Oh, of course. And be yeah, like, yeah. because your mind will start to wander. Of course. And, and thinking about those things, it's like, eh, go back to scripture. And what does scripture tell you to think about? Think of things that are good and pure and right. excellent. And yeah, that, it could be dangerous, but we are called to reflect on ourselves, especially like before you do communion, you're supposed to look within yourself and you're supposed to do that, but don't go too far. Because <laughs> right, the reason being the grace of God. You are not who you are anymore. You have died to yourself, and you have taken up the cross, to, cross of Christ, which you're supposed to. If you haven't done that yet, spoiler alert, yeah, you should probably do that. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am the foremost. This is kind of a, a, not a textbook, but this is a, one of Paul's, I don't want to say his favorite thing to say, but he says it a lot in a lot of his letters. He says, I am not lying. I am telling the truth. Or this is a trustworthy saying. And it's like, what, what is Paul saying here? Is he having insecurities <laughs> that what he's saying, people won't believe him. And right. so he has to reaffirm what, you know, no, he's not. He's just like highlighting. Exactly. And he's, he's taking a cardinal gospel truth and kind of condensing it into one sentence that the church probably is familiar with. 
right? Yeah. Probably it, uh, maybe a litur- maybe a liturgy type scenario where they have some of these phrases that Paul uses in his letters and uses mm. them as a liturgy. I don't I don't know. We're, we weren't there. Yeah. But just that idea of this is a simple phrase that is a concise statement of the gospel of a gospel truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, for me, this is a direct back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only one and only son. And he's saying in verse 15, deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's it. That's what he came to do. Yeah. And then he follows it up of whom I am the foremost, or in some versions, I am the chief. I am the ultimate sinner. Or literally first in rank. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the worst of the worst. Yeah. And, which, we, which we've kind of hit pretty hard, just talking about what he what he was like yeah. before he changed his name to Paul, and and before he became the apostle that we know today that wrote the majority of the New Testament. Yeah, he was worse than Dahmer. Yeah, <laughs> again, back to the Dahmer reference that you, I wasn't expecting. You could but. go back to <laughs> relating him to like Hitler yeah. or Stalin, like really wicked dudes. Yeah, and if we keep following that thread of logic of even as Hitler was in the bunker before he died, if he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, he, he's in heaven. Now, we don't know if that happened, Grant. We don't know if he actually <clears throat> died in the bunker. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to go that far. Yeah. But anyway. But it, it, I will say I do want to make one small distinction between Paul and like Hitler. Um, I, I just don't see evidence of Paul having the mental issues that Hitler had and right. the opiate addictions and, and, and right. the occult-like things that Hitler had. Just throwing that out there. He wasn't quite... <laughs> genocide. But, but to be fair, genocide. he did deserve hell just as much as Hitler did, just as much as you do, just yep. as much as I do. Yep. He, they deserve hell. We deserve hell. That's what we're driving at right now. Yeah. Verse 16 says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ foremost. No. <laughs> jump some lines there let's start let's start that one over let's do it again <laughs> so verse 16 says but i received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost jesus christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life mm. powerful verse yes powerful verse he again references himself as the foremost of sinners as the first in rank as the chief of sinners and this is why Jesus saved him. He. This is why he received this mercy, mm-hmm. to show the patience and the power and the might of Jesus Christ. He is an example, so everyone else throughout history can read this. And if you think that there's no way Christ can save me, there's no way God can save me, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm the worst. There, the things that I've done are the worst. There's nothing you've done worse than Paul. Right. And that's it. There's, there's nothing. I mean... Okay, you want to get into details of certain things you've done, uh, like we we're just literally just talking about Hitler. You know, extrapolating, looking at Hitler versus Paul, and you, you know, coming up with pros and cons. Whatever you right. write them out, whatever that's fine. Paul blasphemed the name of Yahweh, death, right there throughout the entire Old Testament. If that ever happened, boom, Paul's dead. He's gone, and he's not sitting in the Sheol and next to the bosom of Abraham. He's sitting on the other side. Right. And why? It's because he's an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, who were to believe that, as in, who haven't believed in him yet. Yeah. Like, Brad and I, we can read through this, and we we take heart with this. We we take courage with this, I guess you can say. But this this is for Paul's life is for the people that truly believe that they are unsavable. Yeah. Well, and, and Paul is, at this time, when he's writing this letter and, and he's going around these churches, he is living proof that God can save literally anybody. Yes. He's living proof of that, that God can save anybody. Because I, we keep saying this over and over again, Paul was the worst of the worst. He was the f- last person you would think mm. would ever come to Christ and, and change his ways because of how opposed he was to it, how openly opposed he was to it. So Paul is living proof that God can save any sinner, no matter how great a one they may be. Yeah. Um, I do think, too, you know, you look at, I think I read somewhere that the Paul's conversion experience is recounted six different times in the New Testament. 
Hmm. His testimony was used throughout that first century church to win people to Christ. His testimony was powerful. By the way, your testimony is powerful. It may not be as quote unquote drastic on an earthly standard as as by earthly standards as Paul's was. You may not be a murderer. You may not be. However, as we said a few seconds ago, you deserve hell just as much as Paul does. And the fact that your dead heart is now beating is just as miraculous as Paul's dead heart now beating. Yes. Your testimony, so, and, and stop me if you don't like it. Okay. <laughs> but I think that's why it's important to know how to not only share the gospel, but know how to share your story. Know how to share your testimony. Because your dead heart coming to life is just as miraculous as Paul's. Granted, you again, you probably haven't done what Paul's done, right? You're not a murderer. You're not a blasphemer, quote-unquote, to the extent that Paul was. Again, these are worldly standards because all sin in God's eyes, as far as punishable by death, is equal. Yeah. Different consequence levels here on earth. Right. But all sin to God is punishable by death and, and separation and deserving of hell. Yeah. So your conversion is, is miraculous. Yeah. Your salvation is miraculous, and it's good to know how to how to verbalize that, how to yeah. share that with others. Yeah, share the gospel, understand it. Find, I mean, there are different techniques that that are good. There are some that aren't great. There, there, you know, you can rely too heavily on these techniques and on these, you know, strategies on how to do it. But some of the, there's some validity to some of it. Yeah. If you need a starting point, find some. I I like the the, the three circles. I, I like that one. Um, that I've seen go around uh, of a quick way to share the gospel and a concise yep. way to share the gospel. But man, all you really need is your story and the Bible yeah. and scripture. That's all you need. Yeah. Paul didn't have all these elaborate strategies. He shared a story. And he just went straight to this is what this is what the gospel says. Yeah. This is what happened. This is what happened to me. This is my story, my experience with the gospel, with Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is what the Bible says. This is how it works. This is how it fulfills the Old Testament. This is how Jesus gives us his grace. Yeah. That's all he needed. Just food for thought. And believing that God has everything under control, that he is working all things out for good. Even with the life of Paul, God used his life to reach, I would say, billions of people. Millions to, if not billions of people. And God needed or not that God needed anything, but God wanted a man of Paul's caliber and the things that he did so that he could reach a certain group of people. Whereas God has allowed you to go through things to build your testimony to reach a certain group of people. And and, and scripture says we are to tell our testimony. Our yeah. people will know us by the way we love each other, but they being able to tell them of our testimony and our testimony being the things that God did for us. It is important to share and it is very important to share. So verse 17, moving on, Paul just kind of wraps up this, you know, this thought, this thought, this, this gospel message that he is providing by saying to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Mm. So just a nice little ending to this little section of, here are some attributes of God. Yeah. And also, none of this would be possible without him. Right. Well, and that's what I was thinking. Like He literally ends this whole thought of telling people how awful he was, and the only reason that he's not awful anymore is because of God. And so ending that whole thought, it's to the king, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. As in, oh my goodness, God, thank you. Yeah. Thank you that I am not the way I was. And I am who I am now because of you. And and it, it, that's exactly right. And it it's impossible to change without this yes. th- this God, without God. And this idea that the only way to heaven, the only person, hang on, all right. And it's this idea that the only way we change, the only person who gets the glory, it's not Paul. Paul didn't do any of this on his own. It's God, period. Yes. He deserves the glory. We don't deserve the glory. We are we are mere worms. We are mere <laughs> we are sheep. <laughs> we are dumb. We, we don't get the credit for this. That's why Paul says throughout other letters, you know, it's by faith alone you're saved, mm-hmm. not by works, lest no man should boast. We have no boast in this. The only boast we should have is in our weakness because of Christ. Right? <laughs> right? 
that we can boast in Christ that in our weakness he makes us strong. Yes. That's the only boast we should have. And that's what Paul's again alluding to here. Yeah. So kind of wrapping up, First Timothy chapter 1, 18 through 20 here real quick. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. He, he shifts focus. He shifts focus and goes to Timothy. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding the faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So this charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child. Again, Timothy being Paul's spiritual child, mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily his blood child, his, his uh, child in the faith. genetic is his child in the faith. Wage the good warfare. I know Austin is a big fan of, of kind of this, this symbology mm-hmm. of, of warfare and, and fighting our battles and, and fighting the good fight. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, I was kind of thinking maybe he's going to jump in. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I am, but I'm <laughs> I'm looking at the first part. Uh, so the charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. A lot of people, I, I think a lot of people get hung up on this, of looking at Timothy and like, oh, Timothy was prophesied over and there were certain prophecies given over Timothy and, and what kind of prophecies are over me? And I, I think we're reading too deeply into it. Yeah. So there's an excerpt, excerpt here by William Henry. I'm, I'm using his commentary here. He says, The expectations concerning Timothy are here mentioned to stir him up to the vigorous and conscious discharge of his duty. So the good hopes others have entertained concerning us should excite us to our duty. And I think that's a very big part of it. Of, okay, prophecy in the Old Testament, being the foretelling of the future, things that God is going to do in the future, not just future events. So prophecies that are have been basically previously made about Timothy are these things, these things that God is going to use Timothy for. So the prophecies of us are basically just the things that God are, is going to use us for. It's not we're not like we're going to have someone come prophesy over us and say, God is going to use you to go to the South Sudan on this date and time to reach this person named. No, that's not how prophecy works anymore. Prophecy is whenever we are prophesying, we are speaking of the things that are of scripture and the things that are, that are to come that have already been written in scripture. So, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. As in Timothy, just like we were talking about about Paul, God putting Paul through things, yes, putting Paul through things, and allowing him to go through things to become the man that God wanted him to be to reach this certain group of people. And that group of people was large. But then going to Timothy, Timothy... God had set this man up for this purpose, allowing him to be in a family that he was, where his grandmother and his mother were were completely steeping him in scripture, and then putting him under a man like Paul, going through the things that he did, to set him up for true warfare. Timothy, I mean, just, just looking at this letter of and as we get into chapter three, even chapter two, the vastness of what Timothy was doing. He was going into Ephesus and he was establishing a church. Okay. Timothy was establishing the the eldership of a church. He was establishing the elders so that they could teach sound doctrine, which means Timothy was probably teaching sound doctrine to these elders. And what he was doing was very, very important. And we need to keep keep that in mind as, as we're reading through this. So the warfare that Paul was talking about to Timothy waging a good warfare is true. As in, we are in a war. Don't you know we're at war, as Alistair Bick would say. Yeah. And, and we need to keep that at the forefront of our mind because whenever we start getting lax like we have been, and especially a few years ago before COVID hit, dude, how lax we were getting. And then God woke us up. He sent, I truly believe, sent COVID so that it could refine the church. What, what do trials do? Trials refine the right. church. 
And I think, too, you see this lackadaisical Christianity has led to the rise of the progressive Christians, of the wokeness that has kind of infiltrated our church. Yes. And not all churches, obviously, and, and but a lot of them, a lot of your bigger ones especially, oh, yeah. have become so woke and so progressive that they're losing the gospel completely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesus was a good dude. Let's just follow him. Or, oh, Jesus was a good dude. He's one of the ways you can get there. Mm-hmm. He Or... Jesus is a good dude. You don't have to change. You can do whatever you want. Like, it's fine. He yeah. accepts you, loves you, and, and and takes you just as you are. And yes, there's just as I am. I come. Mm-hmm. I don't stay there. <laughs> I come yeah. to you just as I am, and then I'm transformed at that point. Jesus made you the way you are, man. Just yeah. like, chill out. As Lady, no! as Lady Gaga would say, I was born this way. Oh, my God. Like, it's just not. But that has, we've been, we've become lackadaisical. Yeah. And there are many reasons we can get into why we think that is. We can get into who's to blame, but we're all to blame on some level, but we can get into that. I mean, I think there's part of it is Christians who are serious about their theology and serious about what we believe, some of us have lost our joy, and so it became a lot Mm. more rigid than it should be, and that quote-unquote turned people off because there's no joy. There's just what seemingly judgment and and condemnation, Yeah. right? But it's like, okay, but your theology is sound. Let's get some joy in there, too, Exactly, yes. Let's let's have some fun. Let's serve a God of joy. Exactly. And and so I think that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. I I think watering down the gospel to get our numbers up is a big part of the problem, a massive part of the problem. And just this idea that we're allowing some of this leftist theory and Mm -hmm. mindset creep into our churches and we're not standing up and saying, wait a minute, hang on, hang on. I don't like where this is going. This is not biblical. Because again, I've said this multiple times on this podcast, you blink and you are 20 steps from where you just were. Yes. Because you didn't pay attention at step one. Yeah. Right? That yeah. first little sign of like, oh, wait a minute, something. Th- this sounds a little bit off. Yeah. But you don't say anything because, oh, it's fine. Like, ultimately it's fine. But then you blink and you're 20 steps ahead and you're affirming homosexual marriages in your right. church like right wait how did we get here yeah what what happened <laughs> what it, what emily and i we use is um you know the ditches on both sides left and right and growing up in the churches where y- you stand still okay we sing hymns there there's no movement no swaying whatever i wouldn't say joyless but but it's bordering on that and what we get is we have the far left side of they're running up and down the aisles, the the uh, Pentecostal type. Yeah. Um, Jumping in the baptismal. Just beating their chest and twirling around in circles and speaking in tongues. And then you have the far right side, the Southern Baptist, where they're like, don't move. You can't move. You just sing. We don't want to be anything like those people. And it becomes a rigid, joyless thing yeah. where it's like, no. Yeah, don't get in either one of those ditches, but stay on the road. Yeah. As in, no, I I do believe that it is not orderly worship to run up and down the halls or run up and down the aisles. Right, right, right. Um, Waving flags. And- wave, yeah. Yeah. But, but even for me, um, just within the last couple of years, reading through scripture and being like where Paul is, and actually, we might actually get there. Yeah, we, we get it in chapter two where in verse eight, I desire... Then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And that, like, I, I read it. And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. And I keep reading. But then, you know, I get convicted by it. And I'm like, oh, man. Because I've never been one to raise my hands. And especially, you know, as we're worshiping God in unison as the entire church. And you have the people raising their hands and stuff like that. And I'm just like, this is kind of weird. This is the whole feel-good thing, but I'm also like, no, no, there, there is a very good, joyful side of this. Right. And to to get to that point where, you know, I'm praying and I'm able to to raise my hands. Now there, there's a lot more to that, which we'll, we'll get we'll get later. <laughs> yeah. But the point being, do not get on both sides of the dishes. Di- dishes. Exactly. The ditches. The, don't, the don't, rigid. Don't get to the dishes either. Ah, uh, don't get don't to the there. dishes. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, yeah, there has to be joy. We serve a God of joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Absolutely. And if you don't well, have joy, then... Look at David dancing through the streets. Yeah. I'll become even more undignified than this. Like, yes. David was joyful. Mm-hmm. He would dance. Now, we don't necessarily need to go dance naked through our churches. That's not quite what we're saying here. Right. P- actually, please don't do that. Well, he was. He thought he was by himself <laughs> at that point. Right, but... 
but again, let's just not let's not do that. Let's not do that. <laughs> but no, it is. But being able to express joy in your worship, express joy mm-hmm. in your life, and express joy in the gospel. Yeah. Like yes, there there is a level of judgment and condemnation that comes from the gospel because there has to be. Yes. Because without it, again, it becomes a free for all. Yeah. But there also is joy. Like I said, your dead heart now beating is miraculous. And what do we typically, what emotion do we feel or what, what, you know, what thoughts do we have when something miraculous happens? It's usually joy. Whoa. Unadulterated happiness and joy, right? When someone is miraculously cured of cancer, that's a joyful thing. So why is it not joyful that our dead heart is now beating? Right, exactly. That is joyful. So we have to have joy because without it, we do become angry or seemingly angry and seemingly bitter. And and it just, that hurts. Yeah. But also, like you said, with the ditches, keep the gospel the gospel. Don't change it. Don't water it down. Don't, you know, sugarcoat the fact that we need to change, that Christ will change us. Yeah. Our behaviors will change. Our attitudes will change. Our lifestyles will change. Don't get rid of that. Because then you're going on the other ditch and you're not living a true gospel and preaching a true gospel. It becomes a free-for-all. I mean, it's not comfortable to say to a congregation, hey, if you are living with your significant other without, you know, outside of marriage and you're sleeping together outside of marriage, that is wrong. Yeah. You need to repent. That's not an easy thing to necessarily stand up there and say, especially especially when you get to a bigger church where there there's more chances for that to happen. Like, yeah. I think about our church and I'm thinking, okay, we all know, pretty much know each other. Yeah. When it comes to that sort of thing, we all kind of know each other. So it's like, it would be pretty easy to stand up there and say it right. in our church because we know everybody. And we're like, well, I don't think this is really an issue necessarily that we know of right here. Right. But like, you go to a bigger church, you're absolutely going to look out at this group of people that you don't know their life. You don't know where they are. And you're like, people probably are living together and they're not married. Yeah. But I'm going to say this anyway. Yep. Because it's part of the gospel. So yes, you have to do that. But you also have to say, hey, you don't have to change to come to Christ. Right. You come just as you are. Right. But that change is going to happen on the back end. Well, and I love it. It's, okay, again, yes, there's the difference between talking to non-believers and believers. If they, they're proposing to be a believer, you speak them different, differently. But if they're a non-believer, you just have to look at them and say, Jesus loves you. Come to him. As in, like, they're, they're practicing homo- homosexuality. You just look at them and say, Jesus loves you. Come to him. They're... Anything else, you say, Jesus loves you, come to him. Once they come to him, they have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, then you address it. Then you go to to Scripture and say, look, Jesus loves you, and you came to him, but, but now you have to die. As in, Christ died for you, and now you have to die to him. You have to kill your desires. And homosexuality, we'll, we'll take that one. And if... You are of that mindset. You have that sinful desire. It's like, now you have to kill it. Die to yourself because you're Christ's now. He died for you. So now you have to die for him. Right. And yeah, you come to him, but now you change. You cannot stay the way that you have always been. Anyway. So the last two verses here, uh, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We've talked about holding faith and good conscience. Talked about that actually probably in the first part of this because yeah. it's back in verse five as well. But so let's just go down to by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Mm-hmm. What does that mean, Austin? What are your first thoughts? So I, looking at okay, the con, the contingent with that faith and a good conscience. If you let go of your conscience, you will make shipwreck of your faith. The the conscience being, I, I think we talked about this in Romans, you know, people who have seared their consciences of, they have completely blotted their eyes out to the evil that they're doing, and they've seared their conscience to where it doesn't matter anymore. And especially if they're claiming Christianity, they have made shipwreck of their faith. Now, I... I can't say it like Matthew Henry, so I'm just going to read what Matthew Henry says. <laughs> and I'm going to do the same thing with John MacArthur good, in a second. Good, 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 good. So, if you guys don't know who Matthew Henry is, look him up. He's a Puritan. 
Uh, his commentaries are amazing, but his books are really good too. So he says, the apostle specifies two who had professed the Christian religion, but had quitted their profession. He declared them to belong to the kingdom of Satan, that they might learn not to contradict or revile the doctrine of Christ and the good ways of the Lord. The design of the highest censorious in the primitive church was to prevent further sin and to reclaim the sinner. And those who love the service and work of Satan are justly delivered over to the power of Satan. Those who have put away a good conscience and made shipwreck of faith will not stick at anything. Blaspheme not accepted. Therefore, let us hold faith in a good conscience, if we keep clear of blaspheme. For if we once let these go, we do not know where we shall stop. May all who are tempted to put away a good conscience and to abuse the gospel, remember that this is the way to make shipwreck of faith also. So, do not put away your conscience. If you have put away your conscience, you will make shipwreck of your faith. Right. That's it. And so I want to kind of quote John MacArthur because, like you said, I, I don't necessarily have the way to I'm not say as, it as I'm not as eloquent as, he does, as, <laughs> as he does. Yeah. So, uh, so just on the word shipwreck and on this idea of shipwrecking the faith, uh, MacArthur says this. He says a good conscience serves as the rudder that steers the believer through the rocks and reefs of sin and error. The false teachers ignored their conscience and the truth, and as a result, suffered a shipwreck of the Christian faith, or the true doctrine of the gospel, which implies severe spiritual catastrophe. This does not imply a loss of salvation of a true believer, but likely indicates the tragic loss that comes to the apostate. They had been in the church, heard the gospel, and rejected it in favor of the false doctrine defined in verses 3-7. through Apostasy is a turning away from the gospel having once known it. Mm. And it's interesting, too, to note that it, was, it wasn't it was Satan's desire, but Paul's, that they may not learn to blaspheme. So Paul was turning them over to Satan, as in they're doing Satan's work, as in they're a part of the kingdom of Satan anyway. Well, so He removed them from the church, yeah. is what that is. Right? But to to teach them not to blaspheme, as in, okay... We just read that Paul was the chief of blasphemers, and he is now handing them over to Satan to hopefully restore them. And it's not, okay, they are evil, throw them out, they're, they're not one of God's chosen. No, it's turn them over so that they can learn, so that God willing, hope being in Christ, they come back, and that they have learned not to blaspheme. Right, exactly. And, and even, okay, looking at shipwreck, uh, not to take it too literal, but... You look at a ship who is wrecked. There are multiple ways they wreck. Okay, one, you have a, a super easy one where they've run up on a sandbar in the middle of the ocean. Okay, it's not the end of the world. Let's wait till high tide and you can get back out. Versus you've run aground in coral and your hull has breaking, broken open and now you're flooding. And once high tide comes back in, you're going to sink. There are different stages and different levels of things you're going to have to do. Paul giving them over to Satan completely, as in basically looking at them and saying, your hull's broken, you're sinking, you best do something about it. As in, or instead of coddling them, right, surrounding them with flotation devices, trying to keep them up by your own merit and self, and then at some point, their hull is still broken, there's nothing fixed. And that's where compromising the gospel comes into play when yeah. we start doing that when we start trying to coddle and, and raise up on our own merit yeah. we want it on the gospel because we we essentially are telling them eh, it's fine you're fine your beliefs are fine your beliefs are valid your feelings are valid everything's mm. valid yeah and it's not the like you said i mean the, jumping into verse 20 among who among whom are hymenius and alexander whom i've handed over to satan that they may not they may learn not to blaspheme Paul removed them from the church. He he, it, it, to me it it almost looks like an excommunication until the moment where they repent. Yeah, and and come to the true faith in Christ. Yeah, um, it's not permanent, but it's a we need you not in a position of authority. We don't need you teaching these things to to our churches to our people. Yeah, in fact, if you're gonna continue to stir strife and cause mischief, you need to leave and not yeah. even be here. Well, it. 
he's not even like calling them children of the devil either. Right. He's just saying, I'm giving them over to him so that they learn not to do this. And so, yeah, he's not calling them out saying, you're actually not Christian. You never were. It's you are doing things that are not of scripture. And and I, I really don't believe that this was a first resort. Right. I, I right. don't think it was, oh, well, he, they said something out of context or they, they said something that wasn't up to part of scripture. Oh, throw them out to Satan. It's like, no, th- this was a, a pattern. This was a pattern. Yeah. As in Paul and the people at this church probably already went through church discipline. And this was the last resort. Right. It's like, okay, we've gone through everything. Kick them out. Give them over to Satan so that they learn not to blaspheme and God willing, they come back. Well, Hymenaeus, he's mentioned in 2 Timothy 2 in connection with Philetus, who is another false teacher. And there's a theory that Alexander is the opponent mentioned in 2 Timothy 4, but we don't really know much about these men. So, right. so on it, we can't do a deep dive into who these people were from Scripture, at least. We, we, we don't really know. Right. But they were false teachers. Yeah. They were, they were preaching something contrary to the gospel. Yeah. We don't know what that is. We don't get into detail, you know. Paul doesn't give us the details of what they were preaching, but they were, they were preaching something doctrine. contrary to, right. to the gospel. And that's all we needed to know. And I'm going to read one more thought from, from MacArthur, and then I'm going to, we can wrap this up. But delivered to Satan, Paul put both men out of the church, thus ending their influence and removing them from the protection and insulation of God's people. So like exactly what Austin said about not coddling and yeah. not lifting them up, not looking the shipwreck analogy, not putting flotation devices all around them yeah. to, to puff them up and, and keep them afloat. They were no longer in the environment of God's blessing, but under Satan's control. In some instances, God has turned believers over to Satan for positive purposes, such as revealing the genuineness of saving faith, keeping them humble and dependent on him, enabling them to strengthen others or offering God's praise. God hands some people over to Satan for judgment, such as King Saul. Yeah. And the sinning member in the Corinthian church. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So it is an extreme measure. But as mm-hmm. Austin said, it wasn't the first measure. Yeah. You know, you, you look at like, I think of, of when you were talking about that not being the first measure, I, I think of someone from the stage saying a verse out of context and the leadership going behind him saying, hey, that isn't quite what that verse means. Let's make sure we're careful. And that just kind of a little correction, mm-hmm. right? And maybe that's where it started with these two. Maybe it yeah. started with that. It's like, hey, not quite. It's not quite it. Let's yeah. let's be careful. Yeah. Let's let's be diligent in what we're saying and what we're doing. But then it just escalated and continued to escalate to a point where they were teaching something completely contradictory to what the Bible actually says, to what the yeah. gospel actually is. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of my thought on that. So a lot of encouragement in this because it's Paul saying, "If I can be saved, so can you." Yeah. Right. A lot of encouragement there, a lot of like warnings of like saying, hey, be careful who you listen to. Be careful the doctrine that you hold. Oh, yeah. Be careful to not sugarcoat things, not listen to ear, ear tickling sermons. Not li- mm-hmm. like I think those are applications we can, uh, you know, put upon ourselves. Yeah. Who are we listening to? What types of messages are we, are we letting into our lives when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the Bible? Yes. Are we at a point where we want to dismantle or deconstruct the the hierarchy of God and family. Yeah. Are we are we wanting to, are we there? If we're there, there's a problem. Major problem. Are we wanting to say something to the effect of, well, your lifestyle is fine. Just love Jesus. Right. Are we are we there? If we're there, that's a problem. Yeah. Like Take what you're hearing from your friends on Facebook. Take what you're hearing from people. YouTube. From YouTube, from sermons, from people in your churches, from us, and compare it to what the Bible says. Yes. Go to Scripture. if it doesn't match, there's a problem. If you see something and you're like, ooh, this hits me in a weird way, maybe there's a reason for that. Or or it hits you and you're like, ooh, I really like that. Okay, what part of you likes that? Right, exactly. Does your flesh like it? It's probably not a good thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Both things. Ooh, that hits me a little strange. I don't know. Test it. Yeah. Or, ooh, I really, really like this. This sounds great. Test, test it, test it, it. test <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, things that do sound great are great. The gospel's great. But if there are things that, that just throw up a little flag in your mind of like, oh, man, this, this feels a little weird, or, oh, man, this sounds too good to be true. Yeah. Test it. Yes. See what it is. Because without... 
change, there's no salvation, right? Got a true conversion experience results in lifestyle change. Yes. Not perfection, not uh, not even immediate lifestyle change necessarily. Yeah. But it's go- you're going to see the fruit. Mm-hmm. And if you're not seeing the fruit, if you're getting a message of live and let live, there's a problem and you're yeah. creeping into false doctrine. Yes. So encouraging your dead heart now beating is a mir- miracle. Mm-hmm. It is something to be celebrated, something to be shouted from the mountains. Also, be careful who you listen to. Yeah. And be careful the doctrine that you're letting sink in. And this is not the last time you're going to hear this. Like, no. just literally just by going through First Timothy, First Second Timothy, we're going to be talking about false teachers left and right. And I'm sure, and I said this before, I think in our first episode on First Timothy 1, Paul names Hymenius and Alexander, mm-hmm. setting a precedent that says, hey, call people out if they if they need it. If they are false doctrine, false teacher. If they are teaching teacher. false doctrine and they are bold about it. Yeah. And you've gone through what you can go through to, to keep it in-house. Yeah. you got to call them out. Yep. So we'll probably do that. We've done that before with, with a few, and we've gotten deeper into Bill Johnson. I think eventually we're going to kind of move over to the Stephen Furtick side and really step on some toes. Ooh. But we'll get to that. In a few months, I'm sure. Yeah. But, so yeah, First Timothy chapter 1. I think that's a good stopping point. Mm-hmm. So next week, we'll dive into First Timothy 2. And then we'll talk about the Sabbath at, uh, after that. Yeah. And go from there. All I right. Like you like it? I like it. All right. So next week, First Timothy chapter 2. Do, be, do us a favor. Read that chapter a few times this week. We will get to it. We're not going to just randomly say, oh, we're not doing it now. Right. No, it's going to happen. Uh, so First Timothy chapter 2. Read that. Give us a, like I said, find us on Facebook. Interact with us. Tell us what you think. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, your comments. We'd love to get into any kind of discussion with you about any of these things that we've talked about. And, you know, if we made a mistake, show us. Yeah. Show us scripturally where we, where we were wrong. We'd love to correct it because we our goal is to be faithful to scripture. Yeah. So let's have those discussions. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash readinglogos. If you want to support us financially, help us to do bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. Help us to get this word out there. We would love that. Thank you all so much for your support. Thanks for listening. We will see you guys next week, week two of 2023. Mm -hmm. Are your resolutions still going strong? Oh, probably not. All right. (laughs) Until we see you guys again next week, stay stay rooted. rooted.